From Group M, it's the Mad Tech Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Mad Tech Podcast, where we buy, we talk about everything marketing and tech related. My name is Tim Whitfield and I'm the Director of Technical Operations at Group M. And with me is Vanessa Hunt. Hi, Ness. How are you going? Hi, Tim. Very well. And with us from overseas, we have the lovely uh, Kurt Crutchman, the Chief Operating Officer of Grapeshot. Hi, Kurt. How are you? Hey, thank you so much for having me here. It's our pleasure to have you here, mate. Um, have you been here for long? No, just two days, a uh, day and a half, really. Uh, you're a fly-in, fly-out visit, is it? N- yes, on this, in this particular trip, we'll be back here in uh, two months and then routinely on a, on a regular basis. Oh, that's fantastic. And how long have you worked for the company for? Graveshot, just, uh, just two years. Two years. It's uh, relatively new to the industry? Uh, yes, in, in its current iteration, but I have... Um, been an entrepreneur and been involved in starting businesses, uh, two of which were sold to WPP, um, and have are now under the Wonderman umbrella. Ah, oh, wonderful! Are you able to elaborate on those businesses? Uh, one was Blast Radius, and the other was Schematic. Uh, Schematic is now part of Possible Worldwide. Oh, that's fantastic! I, I'm not too familiar with uh, Blast Radius. Could you explain what that did? Mm-hmm. Blast Radius. We started out of the uh, school, out of graduate school. I was in Vancouver Film School uh, studying. Um, uh, film and new media, and we were in the business of visualizing data. We started doing it for the video game industry. We became agencies of record for like Nintendo and Activision, Electronic Arts, and we started not only doing a lot of marketing work for them, uh, websites, uh, but we also started changing uh, when they were when they were moving all their products to the web. A lot of their PC games, we were converting all that code to be friendly for uh, cloud computing. And then that company scaled, continued to do more around CRM and loyalty, and then we did system integration of CMS systems, and uh, just kept growing and growing, and then eventually uh, moved into, uh, was acquired by um, WPP. And uh, uh, the company still exists, it's uh, very healthy, and a uh, nice part of your family business. And that's, through, through indirectly, that's how I got into AdTech. Oh, really? Because it doesn't mm-hmm. sound very close to ad tech, at, at least. It sounds a little bit different. It sounds a lot more fun, actually. Yeah, no, we were, we were building, we were, a lot of the infrastructure that we were building would tie into the data that would start to inform how media would be bought and sold. Was these, it? these were early days, Tim. These are, this is 1997, 1998, 1999. This, uh, but, you know, these so are early days. Yeah, these are back there like Pac-Man. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what, what made you want to come across to ad Prior to... Going to film school, I was actually a traffic engineer in New York City. Literally, I counted cars and people. A traffic engineer. Traffic engineer. I was <laughs> That's quant- so cool. I was, and, and, I was, and you call yourself a great engineer. There's a new yeah. title for you. I like it. A traffic engineer. engineer. I could be that. <laughs> I was quantifying. I was doing data collection and quantifying the flows of traffic in New York City. We started building software and data to automate that, and then we started uh, scaling that globally. And the company got uh, quite, you know, quite big. And then I started learning how to visualize the data. I had friends who were at MIT, and they were working on uh, CAD technology. And I started doing our live data as an overlay on some of their CAD maps. Right. And I wanted to, and I got very excited by the visualization because I saw the impact that it made on our business. And then I wanted to learn the production technologies to figure out how to do that. And that's why I went to. And Vancouver Film School was the only school that taught. At a production level, I wasn't really interested in film theory. I wasn't interested in TV. I was interested in telling stories with data, and that's the only place I could figure that out. Studying how, like the people obviously around you, or a lot of them were were probably interested in TV, Mm. interested in film, and interested in theater. How did they take it when you were like? 
I'm here to talk about the data. Yeah, <laughs> I was a little bit of a misfit, but I was a very good project Some manager. Some of the best people in the world are misfits, yeah. proudly, proudly. But, so I was not a great uh, designer, I was not a great uh, director, but you had to do all of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I learned how to edit, um, but more importantly, I learned distribution and how to move all these different data types together because we were dealing with layered media. So you had video, audio, and then graphics, motion graphics, motion graphic design, and then you could start using live feeds of data to overlay in that, and then time sequencing, real time, so those are the kind of things that thrilled me, and um, uh, and then eventually uh, that's how uh, my colleagues um, uh, who were in school together and also my teacher, uh, we got together and, and pushed this out into the marketplace, co this company called Blast Radius. Uh, that, that is actually fascinating. I love yeah. the concept of uh, uh, traffic flow, and I always think of this thing called a brake bubble. I was mm -hmm. listening to this, that if you're too close to the car ahead and you're inside their brake bubble and they brake, you decelerate by a little bit, the car behind that decelerates by more and more and more. That's right. Ten cars back, they come to a complete stop. Yeah. So you, the, the algorithm around that, around sequencing traffic lights, yeah. is not very far off from AppTech. Really? Well, you think about, that's how I got in. I mean, that's how, I, you, you know, when I got into Grape Shot, I saw them doing very similar things at scale. They had distribution, right, of data, um, live. Uh, the implications of, of that data, but more importantly, what, what really compelling about Graveshot is the scale of what they did it in, and the scale not only being the speed, but also mm. the languages, because uh, Graveshot can can crawl and read in about 175 languages in real time. Mm. When you think about the importance of language and keywords and how we process information, uh, uh, I saw this really undervalued gem of a technology in a company that was doing really good work in this particular segment. And, and we all, uh, when, I, when I started meeting with the team and the board, we all sort of thought, there are so many applications for this. And yes, they're doing very well in this space called ad tech, mm. but this space called ad tech is not only growing dramatically, it's morphing into all these different requirements and needs. But at the end of it, no matter how much tech you put together, the human beings who manage it still have to tell a story with that technology. What was the thing that really made you say, man, I want to work for that company? Yeah, I, I, ironically... Doesn't I, everyone want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> Good call. I, so, I was, so, so, I mean, without going into the whole career background, I got in, I was working in Beverly Hills in a, in a private equity, and I saw Grapeshot as an investment, potentially, and also the people who brought the company to me were also recruiting for the company, and I was very interested in how they were operational. Um, and what really turned me on to the company was actually the people. John Snyder, the CEO, mm. his passion, his commitment. Uh, he's been at this for a long time in different forms. He's had a very loyal group of team members who've worked with him almost for 15 years in different iterations of companies. Um, the co-founder, Martin uh, Porter, was also very uh, um, uh, intriguing as the chief scientist. So one question here is that this tech company it's founded and it's based in Cambridge, mm -hmm. right? Whilst a lot of other tech companies is not based in San Francisco, <laughs> is yeah. not based in Tel Aviv. Yeah. Do, do you feel that that brings a different sort of ethos to the company? Yes, uh, far, uh, far more um, brainy and authentic, mm. far more conservative financially, which is actually a good thing mm. uh, because the companies I was uh, studying were really they were really drawn to valuation, and, which is not a bad thing. Uh, it has a place to go, but they were so focused on solving complex problems and, and really attacking hard problems, and that's what was compelling to me. Getting scale and getting high margin and all the other financial characteristics that you would want from any fast-moving, high-velocity company could be achieved, but you have to get that core value proposition down and understood really well. And I thought they had no parity in that space. Um, 
it's not that they're not ambitious, not that they, uh, but because of their ethos, because of their almost craftsman-like approach to math and delivering value, um, the financial stuff was secondary to them. Mm. They wanted more than anything to apply their brain power to really difficult problems. And, and the companies that came to them were happened to, ha- you know, that needed this kind of help happened to be around keyword technology as the core, scale, global. That makes perfect sense. And, and if I was to say, um, I always try to think, if I had Sir Richard Branson in an elevator for like 10 floors and I had to try to explain, in a nutshell, this company does that, how would you really try to cook that down? What does Grapeshot do? Yeah, so I've talked about all these indirect elements, but Grapeshot is a company that specializes in uh, live marketing and, um, and data intelligence. Uh, that's how we communicate it abstractly. And what that really means is um, we apply this technology um, of live contextual targeting, live audience targeting. We can read and see what people are watching and reading in about 175 languages. So that's the live aspect. We, we do it in real time. Um, when uh, and, and speed is everything in ad, ad tech, especially in pre-bid, and the company specializes in pre-bid programmatic. So we can read and watch, read and, and listen to what people are, are reading, and through that live audience, uh, we don't use cookies, we don't hold on to the data, so we're very, uh, uh, call it just fresh data. Mm. And through that, we believe that what people are reading and watching expresses their intent and what they like and what they're interested in, in that moment. What people have read and watched a month ago or six days ago may not be relevant to that moment. Uh, It can be important, it can be understood, but because it's live. The second thing we do in terms of intelligence is we can allow, we give all the tools to the, to in, in this case, it's the trading desks, but it can it be anyone who uses our, our UI. And we let them build their own segments. We let them define exactly who they want to target. Mm-hmm. You can use, of course, our standard segments, but we let everyone, uh, custom is a big piece of what we do because mm-hmm. we don't believe that a brand should have to have fit into some kind of standard segment. Every brand has a unique persona, and that brand should be able to define what that audience is, not based on someone else's audience data segments, but mm. what their own needs are. Mm. So we can tr- we create these uh, transparent controls. That's the intelligence. And the third piece is uh, the AI, the machine learning of what the company does. Um, we don't talk about that so much. We don't lead with AI or machine learning, but the reality is we look at trending keywords and we can tell you where all the conversations are flowing in any part of the world. And we can allow those, those uh, uh, whoever wants to use that data to create those personas and target that. And the machine learning constantly updates those keywords. Mm. So if you might start with a seed list, and that seed list is how most people operate today with a segment, or put a bunch of keywords in a seed list, we let you just take a seed list of three words, and from that we'll tell you the 25 other words that are actually more contextually relevant than the ones you chose, that are going to have higher reach or meet your KPIs, and then those will change every every five minutes. Those will constantly be updated. Um, mm. That's the dynamic part. So that would have to be a very long elevator ride. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> we um, went up 155 floors. Um, I'm sorry, I took you to the moon and back. <laughs> it's, right. it's, yeah. it's a long elevator. It was a long elevator. <laughs> um, just changing gears a little bit, you said earlier on that you were working in Beverly Hills. Yeah. That must have been a very surreal experience working there. Yeah, I mean, you know, your, your view is of the Crescent. The tri- there's a, it's, it's, I was on Crescent in Wilshire. And, uh, my view outside the window was the Ferrari dealership and then uh, uh, some very fancy restaurants that are there. But it was more importantly, what, uh, what attracted me to that was a guy named Gary Winnick who recruited me. And you might know Gary Winnick from the company called Global Crossings. 
Global Crossing laid down fiber optics around the world uh, underwater, which is the backbone of the internet today. And uh, and he obviously he took a company from something like zero to almost fifty billion dollars in about three years. Uh, uh, and so that was that was one that was one piece. His prior to that, he used to work with a guy named Michael Milken, uh, in who created who sort of really pioneered the junk bond industry for financing. So uh, if I don't know if you remember, I those, do. I haven't yeah. heard that name before. So that was, so Michael Milken's right hand man was Gary. And Gary recruited me into his firm as a managing director, and I was uh, overseeing his portfolio of investments. And so that's what brought me into Beverly Hills. And um, uh, being around these really eminent financiers was a really interesting uh, learning experience. Wow. <laughs> I, I, I just have this picture of you sitting there and then seeing the Ferrari dealership and then seeing Julia that's Wallace called, called Roberts w- walking in front of it there. <laughs> well, the people that would come through the office were everyone from, you know, Chairmans of large media companies who had holding, you know, and, and doing large investments with Chinese media companies and politicians, and it just goes on and on. It's just a very interesting, colorful group of people. Mm. But it's not, not as if it's stargazing. Everyone had, you know, had an objective to try to raise money to go do something. Yeah. Whatever that objective was. No, I, look, I, I get it. Wow, that, that is absolutely fascinating. If we change gears a little bit further and we try to think about the macro view of uh, the industry and we have a look at some of the acquisitions that are happening at the moment um, and, we, and if I was to try to look at this ad tech, which seems to be at the moment, this ad tech buying ad tech uh, seems to be slowing down a little bit, but it was very prevalent a few years ago. You'd see um, in, in your space like a Lenti being... Uh, integrated into uh, AppNexus or Spider.io into Google or a dormitory into So a lot Google. of that fragmentation coming back into Coming back inside, inside that. Yeah, good. Thank you for summarizing yeah. that well for me. Um, I've got this elevator. You got that one? Yeah. Thank you. Uh, the next one would be um, the MarTech now taking over AdTech and we can see uh, Oracle and Moat. To me, that's a MarTech company, mm-hmm. Oracle, looking at an AdTech company, Moat. Same thing with Adobe Tube Mogul or Salesforce Crux. That seems to be a switch from ad tech to martech. Do you see that as well on your side that that's that's happening? We do. Um, you know, we're, we're very um, interested in how our business. We're, we're very. We see the world right now as insights and activation. Right. And we're very strong in activation. That's where the programmatic is. That's where the um, uh, ad tech is. Uh, as we see MarTech as more about insights, the first party data, the e-commerce, the CRM, the email, all these data buckets. If you, to, to, when I first started, John and I went to the IAB Leadership Summit in, I think it was Palm Springs or Palm Desert, and Larry Ellison was one of the keynote speakers, and he laid out his sort of vision. And everyone was very snarky. The audience was very, very, oh, what's Larry Ellison doing here? It's Oracle. Why are that? And John and I were looking at each other. He's like, that's exactly right. He basically just told everyone his playbook. Here's our world. Here's your world. We're coming for you. Mm-hmm. Anyone who wants to come talk to me, here's a good time. Because I'm, if you don't talk to me now, I'm going to come talk to you. Better you come to me before I come to you. <laughs> because that's, you know. I'm he's, giving you some lead time. Yeah, yeah. He's, <laughs> Up to you if you use it or not. He has a, he's, a bit, he's a bit muscular in his acquisition approach. Um, and so, <laughs> I like so, that. So, so, so the point is, that was the, first, that was the first flare, right, that went up two years ago. Now, since then, what have we seen? All of these, um, both consolidation in ad tech, but also martech. Why? Because 
they're, they're aggregating, they're creating these cloud data, you know, these data clouds and other types of systems. But the marketers, you know, who, who CMOs today have become the most powerful people in the C-suite with budgets. Used to be the, Oracle used to go after the CTOs and the mm -hmm. CIOs and the CEOs, financial accounting software. Mm -hmm. And then slowly, slowly, now the CMO has the tech stack, mm -hmm. right? And their, and their tech stack first is with their own CRM data, and then it has to start moving out to how can they see that virtuous loop. That tech's to go in the other way, right? We're doing all this activation, and now we can move, now what, how do we get insights, mm -hmm. bringing that in, and so we have to work together. Some people have figured that out and created these platforms around insights and activation. Mm -hmm. We call them a walled garden, mm -hmm. right? right. I, I believe that um, we are, our company itself is also has an insights division that we're building um, in San Francisco, and you'll hear more about that in, you know, in the months ahead. But the point is, is that I find it very complimentary. Uh, we're, we naturally are starting to get a lot of attention from companies we never thought we'd be talking to. Uh, whether it's, uh, whether it's SAP or Oracle or Adobe, mm. um, all the way from IBM and just keeps moving stuff. E-commerce is becoming very important for our business. Mm. Um, and, uh, and CRM too. And so, uh, uh, the insights division will help with that. We want to get closer to what the, uh, CMOs need from owning that customer uh, all the way through to activating on that data. And right now we're just very, you know, it's, it's the normal process of a company that's just going to, uh, mm. it, it's the workflow that we as, as company builders have to do to meet the needs of these CMOs. The infomercial for, for us, as much as we hated it, <laughs> told us the entire future. An 800 number to activate, product pitch, a celebrity personality, the brand, all wrapped up into some unmet need. Right? At a time when you were most vulnerable. Are you sure you didn't want this Twister Sweeper at 2 a.m. in the morning? <laughs> right? <laughs> Call 1-800 right now, you'll get a Shop free set of steak knives. Steak knives, right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and all we, e-commerce has come out from there, right? Uh, the brands, celebrity brands, and all, you know, all those, those pieces are now on every device, wherever you are, any screen. Um, and now we're just trying to pick up the pieces to go do what they did. <laughs> that is yeah, okay. absolutely fascinating. Well, we're, we're running short on time, but we do have one final question for you. My guess is being the Chief Operating Officer is that you, you travel a fair bit, is that about right? We do. We have 14 cities. We opened up five offices this year. I was just in Shanghai and Hong Kong to open up offices there. So you're right, it's lots of time zones. And, and uh, can you give us an idea of how much? I mean, are you traveling uh, one day a month? Are you traveling one week a month? Typically two weeks out of the month. Two, so are you gone half the time? Yeah. Is that tough? Uh, it is uh, tough. I have two. Uh, I have a wife and uh, two uh, kids who need their dad, and so we find ways to make it work. But um, uh, thank God for FaceTime. Yeah, lots of FaceTime, <laughs> uh, uh, lots of apps that help things. Uh, you know, do these things. But um, uh, but it's important. I don't think this will go on forever. Mm. But it's a, it, the grow. The business is growing at an exponential clip, mm. and we. And this is just it's part of that growth phase. So I'm actually quite. Um, I feel quite fortunate to work with the team, the CXO team and the board and to be able to have this, this opportunity. But it is, it, tra travel is definitely, um, just a part of our global company. And do you have a, uh, any travel tips? Do you have any ways that you can try and beat the jet lag? Any tips and tricks? Um, uh, I wish I could tell you some silver bullet. Right now, do I want to go to sleep? Yes. <laughs> and, uh, but, but do, but do I stop anything? I mean, hydration is the most important thing. Of course. Hydration makes perfect sense. Well, Kurt, thank you so much for your time today. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you so much, Ness, for, for joining up. us. And uh, join us next time on Mad Tech.